Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Uh, what a show today! Goodness, we spent the last hour. Let's 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 give you two segments here of the last hour, because it's a very important topic. It's just the beginning for us to talk about it. Obviously, Israel is faced with this uh, has been for a long time, but we got to start thinking about this. We got to figure this out. So I want to be clear. There's there's two questions, and I don't know if I made this clear enough in the first segment. So there's two questions. It's what would you have done? And then also what action will most likely lead to peace? Those could be the same answer, but they could be different. fighting has officially begun and made this point yesterday I'll do it briefly uh, we were promised in Iraq and Afghanistan and Ukraine uh, it'll be very quick very quick in and out lickety split no problem and they lasted decades the war takes a long time even a small area like Gaza City it, uh, it's going to take a long time just note that and uh, there'll be more buildings destroyed and more propaganda from Hamas and all the rest. And the media will parrot it all. Just this, this, will go, this will go on for a while. Note that. But the on the ground has begun. No hostages yet rescued that we know of. Another Israeli, actually an Israeli sol- soldier that was taken captive uh, hostage uh, was released. It's the fifth person released. But that's different than rescued, I think, right? I want to share a story here. Uh, yesterday we talked a bit about rules of engagement, how to deal with non-combatants, how to think about them. There's a book uh, that I read this the other day called Just and Unjust Wars, A Moral Argument with Historical Illustrations. It's by Michael Walzer. It's actually, uh, it's actually a pretty easy, quick read. It's a thick book, but it's, it's, it goes quick. Um, let me, so we've been talking a little bit about that. I have some more stories I want to share about that. But let, let me share this, uh, this story here now. Something to think about here. And, and what would you do? It's a what would you do story. These two guys, they first met in the 1948 Israeli War for Independence. Lou Lenardi and Yitzhak Rabin. Rabin went on to become the Prime Minister of Israel. Fighter pilots. They reconvened these two men during the Six-Day War. By the, by the way, the ni- 1948, that war is an incredible story. So Israel just, like, just became a state. It was invaded by Egypt, Syria, and Jordan to prevent it from becoming a country at all. And Lou was an American. And he went to go volunteer as a pilot. He had, uh, there are four planes in the Israeli Air Force. Or there, I should say, I, should, I did that wrong. I should have said, uh, he was the leader of a four-plane mission. And it was four planes because that's all the planes Israel had. <laughs> they bought six, but two of them never made it. So they had four. 
and there were four planes that took on 6,000 Egyptian troops. Only one of the pilots had any combat experience at all. And the Israelis attacked, well, the, the Egyptians attacked, and the Israelis defended, and uh, the Egyptians retreated because they were certain that Israel had hundreds of more planes ready to attack behind them, and that these four were just the tip of the spear, when in fact, that was the spear. That's <laughs> what there were just the four. So that's a crazy story. Awesome story. There's more to it, obviously, but that's the short. So uh, let's jump forward now. 1967, the Six-Day War, as it's called, the Six-Day War. So one of Israel's planes crashed near an Arab village. And the Israelis went to go find the plane. And they found the essentially the mayor of the town. And the mayor said, oh, yeah, there's a terrible plane crash. Plane went down and just burned to a crisp. And we tried to rescue the bodies. We tried to help, but the, pl- the fire was too much. We couldn't do it. And the jackals ate the bodies. Horrible. But we did everything we could to save the plane and to save the, the Israelis that were in the plane. We're so sorry we couldn't do anything. And Lou and Rabin, they were talking to this guy. And Lou looked at the, the mayor, essentially mayor, the leader's wrist. And his wrist had the watch that belonged to the pilot of that downed plane. And that's when Lou knew, well, they both knew that it was all a lie. That it was these, these people in this town who killed the pilots raided their bodies. So Lou pulls Rabin aside, the guy who would one day be prime minister, and said, and this is his word, this is Lou looking back. He said, uh, I got Rabin aside and I told him to burn down the village. Again, here's my question is going to be, what would you do? Lou said, we got to burn down the village. We got to put a bullet in this guy's head and drive all the villagers out. I pointed across the plain. The Egyptian lines are only a few hundred meters away. Let the villagers take their belongings and get out. I can't do that, said Rabin. Why not? Lou, collective punishment is against the Geneva Convention. Ah, to blank with the Geneva Convention. You think these Arabs are following the Geneva Convention? They burned our guys to death, then cut them up and fed them to the dogs. If they didn't carve them up first while they were still alive. Lou says, already I was thinking that I would have to tell the fathers and mothers of these airmen what had happened to their sons. And I would lie like blank. I knew that. I would never tell them the truth of how their sons had died. I told Rabin again, shoot the Mukhtar and burn the village. He refused. He said, we are Jews. We cannot commit such acts. Rabin was an idealist. The founding generations of Israel had suffered pogroms and persecution for so many centuries in Russia and Eastern Europe, not to mention the Holocaust only three years earlier, from 1948. 
that it beca- had become a point of honor with them that if they ever got their own country, if they ever got their own country, they would not treat others with the same cruelty that had been, they'd been, they had been treated with. And Lou said, you got to admire that. It's honorable. It's noble. But in war, it's BS. Would Alexander hesitate to burn this village? Would Caesar? Would Stalin? Would Hitler? Rabin put his hand on my shoulder. We cannot do it, Lou. If we take such actions, we abandon every principle we're fighting for. And Lou said, what could I say? Israel was Rabin's country. I was a foreigner. He was an American member. I was a foreigner. I couldn't, I couldn't force my way. That's Lou retelling the story. Now, I want to ask you what you would do. Would you burn the village or no? One eight six six nine five patriot one eight six six nine five patriot would you have burned the village or no would you have done what Lou wanted to do burn the village down drive the people out what would your order have been or would you have taken Rabin's high-minded noble approach no we can't be the evil that these people are what would you have done eight six six nine five patriot Now, Lou's retelling this story. And and they didn't burn the village. And I would have thought Lou retold the story. And I thought the conclusion was going to be something like, and Rabin was right. And I can't believe I was going to let my emotions get the best of me. And and I, I can't believe I, I'm ashamed that I wanted to burn this village down. And I'm so grateful that Rabin was there to, to, to knock some sense into me. That's what I thought the story was going to be. But what Lou actually said was, if you ask me today whether I have any regrets in my life, I will say only one. That I didn't shoot that Mukhtar right then and there and let Rabin do, and, the, and the courts do whatever they wanted with me. So his regret in life was that he didn't burn the village down. Shoot that guy and burn the village. That's his biggest regret in his life. Who was right? The guy who wanted to burn the village down? Thinking that would be justice. That's what he thought. It's justice. But would that be betraying the ideals of the Jewish state and make them just as bad as what they were fighting against? Would it fuel more hatred? As Obama said, harden the hearts. Would you burn it down? Or would you do what Rabin did? That if we treat them right, well, I don't know what Rabin's thought. Rabin's thought could have been, if we treat them right, maybe they'll treat us right. Could be something like that. Or even if they do treat us wrong, doesn't matter. We got to look ourselves in the mirror and only we can be held accountable for our own actions. And I'm not going to be one. I'm not going to be someone responsible for killing these people. 866-95-PATRIOT. What would you have done? 
because gosh, there's so many questions. There's, there's what's the right thing to do. There's what's the practical thing to do. Like what, what's your role as commander of, of these men here, right? Like what's your role? Like if your role is to keep the peace, right? Or is your role to do the right thing? And like, what is the right thing? Stephen Pressfield, he asked the question, which he wrote, uh, uh, gates of, um, oh geez. Is it gates of fire? Would you have to read? Yeah. Gates of fire. Um, Stephen Pressfield said, which of these two actions would more likely lead to peace? That's the question. Which of these actions would more likely have led to peace? Let's just focus on that because there's actually a lot of questions you can do here. But which of these actions would more likely lead to peace? Burn the village down or let them go? 866-95-PATRIOT. Let's go to Tom in Iowa first. Tom, how are you, sir? Doing well, sir. How are you? Good, man. What would you have done? I can tell you're a veteran. Tom, or, uh, they, they, they murdered their friend. They, they burned and murdered and stole all the stuff off, off one of the fellow Israeli soldiers. What would you have done to this village? I'd have burned it to the ground and spent however many years of love and worth they sentenced me to. That's what Lou wanted to do. Why? Why would you have done that? You don't do that to my people. That simple. What about the if, Geneva? If, if, if there's no consequence, then the action just continues. What about the Geneva Conventions, Tom? Piece of paper. Let me ask the practical question, though. Would that lead to more peace, or would it do what Obama said and harden the hearts of other people and lead to more of this? It's a philosophical question that I'm not certain that I can answer. Mm. I think there was a wise man that once said, if we kill enough of them, they'll stop coming. Tom, I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Go to Sean in Texas, line two. Hey, Sean, good morning. How are you? Uh, Good morning. How are you? Good. What would you have done to the village? Well, I, I uh, first, let me just say, I don't think anyone can truly answer that question until they were faced with that situation. However, just, you know, going through the motions of trying to put yourself in such a horrific situation, yes. I, I think, you know, I kind of go back to the art of war and uh, know your enemy. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I agree with some of what the last caller said. Uh, well, first, let me just say, I wouldn't have burned a village, but you know, the, the captain of the crew is responsible for the conduct of his command. So, you know, I would have taken the leader of that village that you, you knew gave the order to kill the people, and I would put him on trial for war, tri- war crimes. He would have been a prisoner of war. Um, but I think that, you know, again, part of a philosophical question is, uh, you know, if you're dealing with a people with such a backwards mentality that you can never change their hearts or minds, and part of, you know, the, the 90% of war is the info war, right? Winning of hearts and minds. You know, many scholars have said once the, once the, once the guns start firing, you know, the war is practically over at that point. So if you're dealing with an enemy that you can never convert or win over, then, then what's the point? You know, war is an ugly, ugly thing, but, 
you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, and there are stories in the Old Testament, you know, when God sent in his people to conquer, for whatever reason, usually God was the one, you know, carrying out the action, but no one was left alive. Women, children, animals. I mean, you know, I hate to, I hate to say that. I mean, look, read the book of Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you're going to go to war, you need to go to war. Um, and the reason I wouldn't burn the village down is I just don't think I could live with myself. But, you know, there had to be people in the village that, you know, children and, and you know, people that, you know, you really don't have a... Sure. But Al- so that, but this was, this was Lou's point was, would Alexander have hesitated to burn the village? Would Caesar or Stalin, any of those guys? Oh, we lost. There's Sean. Oh, we lost Sean. This is, so I, th- I think if I heard Sean right, 86695 Patriot. I think I think if I heard Sean right, uh, he took a turn there. It was, listen, we're not going to win their hearts and minds. We're not going to win hearts and minds. So I thought he was going to go. So you might as well just kill them all, <laughs> right? Like, like you could go that way, but like we're not going to listen. I, what's the point? Just end the threat. Be done with it. But I think he went. Listen, you're not going to win their hearts and minds, so it's not worth it. Don't kill them. I think that's the direction he went at the end there. Okay, listen. Uh, of course, you don't know what you're going to do in this, right? But we got to go through this because Israel's going through this right now. Israel's have every, like, I don't know what time it is in Israel right now, but if if they're like they're in Gaza, they are having to figure this out right this second. Big picture, having to figure it out. Like, what do we do with Gaza? Gaza but then also individually, person to person, as they're going through the streets of Gaza City, house to house, rubble pile to rubble pile, they have to figure out their actual general rules of engagement and their actual specific actions in every interaction. So that is a real thing that people are thinking about right now. Pretty unbelievable. Let's go to Allison in Florida. Allison, how are you? Hi. So I'm a 62-year-old female. I'm in Naples, Florida at the moment. I lived on the last tank base over the green line guarding Gaza in 1978. What? And I lived in an area called Yamit. I'm sorry. I lived on a kibbutz called Sufa. We were an international base. I was the only American. We guarded Yamit, which went back to Egypt and then was destroyed before it went back. And we guarded Gaza. And I was in Gaza. And at that time... It was Arabs and Jews, and the Arabs were Bedouin and Druze and Arabs, and there was no Muslim. Yeah. So but they did not want peace 40 years ago any more than they want peace now. And at the time, quite frankly, we used to say if every Arab, because they were Arabs, if you gave every Arab a gun and had them line up around Israel, we'd be annihilated. But fortunately, they don't get along with each other long enough to do that, so we'll be safe. <laughs> yeah. And we were down on the tank base when they cut our water supply and we i don't know if you know what it's like to be in the desert where it's 110 degrees during the day and nobody has any water to wash with i don't the arabs cut our water line um we heard the americans break military silence during the iranian hostage crisis and all we were down on our base and we heard them talking and then all of a sudden the helicopters blew up i, I agree yitzhak rabin was a brilliant man but you're right. He was an idealist. I would have gone in and burned down the village because the Arabs were not ever taught peace or forgiveness. And mm-hmm. Yahudim, the Jews, are raised like that. So they will only defend themselves. They're not going on 
they're not going into attack. They're defending themselves, and they have a right to defend themselves. Yes. Okay. Uh, Allison, hang on. This is so, so fascinating. Your story, too, your life. What were you doing there, by the way? Why were you there? My parents were moving from Illinois to New Jersey, and I didn't want to go, so I graduated high school in two and a half years, ran away from home, and joined a foreign army. <laughs> I'm being honest. World? My father Ow. was the U.S. authority on female reproduction, and I outed him. He was the first Jew to be the national sales director of a major pharmaceutical company, and he caught somebody very high in the government stealing, and they sent him back to New York, and I didn't want to go, so I ran away from home. What in the world? Okay, and we that's... were on a home phase. And we were all international, and we were expendable. We were all 18 years old. We were told that we were all given a partner of the opposite sex and a puppy. Because at that time in Israel, you did not have children unless you were married. Because if you were killed in war, you would be required to marry the unmarried brother of something, of the person. Yeah, yeah. So were right? you a lone, so were you a lone we soldier? Is that, what that, is that what that is? You were a lone soldier? I was the chef on the base for 70 men. I introduced onion rings to the country of Israel. I had my bloody <laughs> crock cookbook. I got into the O's. There were two guys down there on reserve duty. They cut out the recipe from my book, went back to Tel Aviv, opened up a shop on Diesengoff, and made a fortune. There you go, Allison. Um, you need to write a book, Allison. All right, let me ask you this question. So this is interesting. So you say, okay, here's a, a broad brush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here are these Arabs who don't understand this concept of forgiveness. For whatever reason, their culture doesn't have forgiveness. Okay. Uh, but is but the Jews do. Okay, so we understand forgiveness. So again, there's a pivot here, Allison. You could say, because we Jews understand forgiveness, we are going to live that value out and forgive. But you went, they don't understand it, so I'm going to burn the village. The thing of it is, they are not taught from childhood. I, I mean, sure. from Yeladim, when they're little babies, they are taught to hate Jews. They are not taught to hate cowboys and Indians or anything of that sort. They literally are taught to hate us. And we had people on our base from India. We had people, the Falashian Jews were just coming to Israel back at that time. We were black, white, green, purple, polka dotted and everything. And they are taught to hate because they are taught to hate. The Arab, the Arab culture is just very, very different. Muslims are not necessarily all violent, just as Jews are not all violent. Right? Not every Jew is in, not every Israeli is Jewish. And not every Arab is Muslim. But I do not believe that peaceful people want to go out and kill other people. But Hamas and Hezbollah, they are not teaching anybody that we are human beings. They just want to kill us. And they don't yeah. even think of it as you're killing another human being. There is no reticence. There is mm -hmm. no remorse. And a show of force is the only thing that works. And you're, and you're not even honestly teaching them anything. You're just taking them off Steve, because it's one less enemy that you have to do. Good morning, with. sir. Thank you for taking my call. Allison. Yes, sir. Appreciate what would you have call? done? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. For I would have burnt the village down. Um, my experience, uh, I, I spent 20, almost 24 years in the Army, six in the infantry, 17 as a Green Beret. Um, my, back, uh, my unit that I served with when I was a Green Beret, uh, we're kind of divided up uh, amongst regions. My, my region was the Middle East, so I served in – Jordan, uh, the kingdom, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, hmm. and like my, the, the only thing that these people understand is force. If you go in, some people may think it's heavy handed, but that's, that's kind of what they understand. If you show, if you show them kindness, they, they interpret it for weakness. A lot of times I would have burnt the village to the ground.
that's just that's just me you know would that have been a so, war crime would that have been a collective punishment against the Geneva Convention's war crime uh so depending on how the operation was taken was was carried out like you know you can consider it a military operation and go in and go house to house and like just start being like hey you, you know, and justify it like that. So it, it, it kind of the kind of depends. Like if now if you go in and like you literally like just throw gasoline on houses and like start killing women and children, then yeah, then it becomes a war crime. But it's, if you actually do like a full scale military operation, then you should be good. It's so interesting. Uh, that, according to the Geneva yeah. Conventions and the law of land warfare. Yeah. Does that, that make sense? Sure, sure. Rules, rule, the order, the convention, like rules, rules of uh, warfare, whatever. It's so interesting because you ask a question like that, and the the right answer is, uh, uh, like like what you gave is the most pure, honest answer when it comes to war. Uh, is it allowed? Uh, it kind of depends. Uh, yeah, I mean, war, war, war. I mean, war is complicated. Like it's very, it's there's a lot of gray area. Like like I said, I mean, I I I, I got 15 combat deployments, and like there's a lot of gray area when it comes to like yeah. what is. Sure. sure. You, you, you walk a, you walk a really thin line a lot of times. So if you, you know, let's say you guys did um, that. Let's let's say let's say you burn the village down. Let's say Lou got his way, burn the village down. What message does that send to the other Arab villagers? Uh, don't f around. You know what I mean? Like we're not playing games with you. Like if you, yeah, I, I mean you got you, and, and this is going to sound really, I don't know. Uh, this may sound a little harsh, but you got to make it to the point to where if they kill one of you, you kill a hundred of them. Like it, 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 you got to make it so extravagantly bad for them that they don't want to, they, 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 they want to stop playing games. Yep. Steve, I appreciate the call. Thank you, you know. for your service. Go to Dean. Who's just a little North of Steve in Kentucky line seven there. What's going on, Dean? How are you today, sir? Good, how you doing? Good. Would you have burned the village to the ground or no? Yes, sir, I would have. Why, Dean? If uh, I mean, if you don't do that, then um, you know, do you want to be responsible for the uh, for the thousands of um, of your other Americans that are going to get killed? Can you look yourself in the mirror, knowing that you killed potentially innocent people, Dean? Maybe not everyone in the village participated in that raiding of the the plane. I would look at myself and think about how many people I saved. What, what if there's innocence? What if you killed innocent people? Uh, I mean, that, that might be a little bit tough, but, um, you know, and I, I might even go so far as to let some of the women go. But as far as all the men in the village, the village would be burned to the ground. The men would be killed. Dean, I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Let's go yes, to Mike. Sir. Mike, who's in Texas. Mike, good morning. Good morning. What would you have done, Mike? I, I would use history to base my decision. World War II and Harry Truman dropping two atomic bombs killed hundreds and thousands of people, but what were the results? It ended the war, did it not? Mm-hmm. It, we could still be fighting World War II right now if Henry Truman, or President Truman, wouldn't have dropped those bombs. So which, we have which to not think only, about what's going not to Not only ended the war, but uh, brought in peace 
like an actual peace, not a truce. There's a difference between truce and peace. Like we are truly at peace with Japan right now. That is correct. So if you look at history, uh, power and force gives you the results that you need. You know, unfortunately, war, people die. But like you said, he said he would run all the people out of the village before he burned it. So there wouldn't be very many. You know what? Yeah, good. Uh, casualties. Mike, good nuance there. Hold on. Let me see if I can find that part. Mike, thank you for the call. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, where did he sit? You're, You're right. He said something about Egypt. He's like, Egypt's right over there. Um, let me pull it up here again. Uh, here it is. Uh, so he, he, I got Rabin's, I got Rabin aside and I told him to burn down the village, put a bullet in the Mukhtar's head and drive all the villagers out. I pointed across the plain. The Egyptian lines are only a few hundred meters away. Let the villagers take their belongings and get out. Ah, you're right. So it's not even killing that many people, right? You're killing the leaders, <clears throat> letting everyone else leave. Burn the village to the ground. Interesting. Uh, let's go to Grant, who's in Louisiana or Los Angeles. Hey, Grant. Hey, what's going on, Mike? I'm going to guess Louisiana. Good, ma'am. Um, what would you have done if you were in that spot? Burn it to the ground. Why? I mean, I think you... History's answered its own question. I mean, look where we are. Look at where Israel is today. Look at what's going on in the Middle East. I mean, like some of your previous callers have said, those people understand nothing but force. They take kindness for weakness. They they're taught from they're taught from the time they're born to the time they die to hate Israelis, hate Americans, hate everything Western, hate everything that's good, right, and just in the world. I mean, they don't they don't understand anything but force. Period. Okay, so the question is, the second question is, which of these two actions would more likely lead to peace? Now, so Barack Obama's argument, uh, Grant, would be your hardening hearts. All right, so you burn the village to the ground, and now you got all these, these boys who uh, the Jews, or Grant, murdered all of our dads and burned our village, and I hate you even more now. So now I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to making sure you die. And, you know, you can look at it that way, and that's one thing. But, again, history history in the current situation would say otherwise. Your previous caller stated dropping atomic bombs in Japan. Look at where we are with Japan. We have phenomenal relationships with Japan. I think there's a reason for that. Look at, what's, look at what has been done in the Middle East throughout history. Look at where our relations are with the Middle East. Barack Obama was a weak man. I don't care what he said about hardening of hearts. He doesn't understand combat. He doesn't understand force. He doesn't understand anything of the sort. He's never had a piece of dirt under his fingernails. <laughs> he doesn't know what it is to be a hard man, to have to make hard decisions. Mm. I don't care if he was president or not. He was a weak man. You look at where we are today as a society, as a Western society, as Israel in the Middle East. Look at what's going on in their world. I would say 110% unequivocally burn it to the ground. Grant, thanks for the call. Uh, table the word hard decisions. Grant said the word hard decisions. I want to keep that in mind here for just a moment. We'll get back to that. Uh, I want to go to Marty, line three, who's in uh, South Carolina right now. Good morning, Marty. Good morning. Um, so you've given us two choices, uh, but there's a third option uh, well that done, I think sir. might be uh, more suitable for peace. Which is what? Uh, so 
you'd have to approach it from the Arab law in 1948. In, in, that, in the Arab law in 1948, if you got caught stealing, they cut your hand off. That would leave the leader alive and let him figure out whether his actions were correct or not. Mm-hmm. And then that would also influence his decisions in the future of, 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 uh, of using force against uh, the Israelis. Yes. So, and then also you could take that even further. So you got his hand cut off, and uh, then you want to find out who his uh, cohorts were, or the co, the people that uh, chopped yep. up the um, the pilots and mm-hmm. fed them to the dogs. Then you go, who was with you? And if he lies about it, you can use Arab law again and cut his tongue out. <laughs> This, I think, would be the best way to peace because you're using their own laws against them. Marty, thank you for the call. And uh, I always value and appreciate the desire to search for a third way. Andrew in Kentucky, line five. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Good morning. What would you have done in this village? I think I would likely burn it to the ground. At the very least, I'd shoot the head, man. You know, I, I think the only thing that makes it a hard decision is that we're coming from a Western mindset, you know, and, and like that uh, a couple of your callers have stated, you know, they're not taught the way we are. They don't think we are. It's arrogance to think that other cultures think the same way we do. They do not have the same moral background and underpinnings of their philosophies in life. You know, the Mohammedan Islam... It doesn't understand anything but war and strength. You know, I mean, it okay. is the Abrahamic religion and pre Muhammad. You know, uh, they weren't necessarily that way. There wasn't jihad and whatnot, you know. But there, gonna... there's, there's no way, pathway to peace with people who don't believe in peace. There's, just there's, a, there's a couple of people I'm thinking of that we're going to have to talk to this week about, because I love how everyone's bringing up culture and worldviews, and, and we need to dive deeper into that. It's, it's super interesting. Um, but Andrew, are you dehumanizing them when, when you and everyone else says, oh, they're not like us, that may be a fact when it comes to worldviews, but is that, uh, are you, are you making them less than us and therefore easier to kill? No, it's not less than just different, but (laughs) you know, it's not less than, but the, the, the whole less than argument also comes from a Western perspective. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it, it comes from a Western perspective, which in all of the Western perspective of Western civilization is based on Judeo-Christian morals. That's literally what led to everything, the enlightenment, everything that we know and hold dear. And, you know, that culture does not have those morals, <laughs> so, <laughs> period. It's, it's so they hard. just don't. They're yes. taught not to. Yeah, even you know, as hard as that seems for us, right? As hard as that seems, and it seems terrible to us to have to make those decisions. But if you want to survive, like Israel has to survive. That's what they're up against. Everybody wants to kill them. It'd be the same thing if it was on our shores. Either do we want to live? Do we want the West to to survive, thrive? You know, provide freedom, provide you know rights for women. You know, all all that kind of stuff. Everything that's good comes from Judeo-Christian morals because it comes from God, brother. That's it. Yeah. Well done. That's my take on it. But what do I know? Uh, I'm just a truck driver. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, you're a good man. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, I'm just a truck driver. Oh. Oh. That's my favorite line. 
I love that line so much. Just a truck driver. Just a trucker. What do I know? I'm not, I'm not, you know, an elite think tank expert. I'm no professor here. I'm just a truck driver. I haven't, I haven't uh, written your fancy books or your dissertations or your just war theory analyses, Slater. I mean, you quoted this uh, Michael Walzer guy, Justin Unjust Wars and Moral Arguments with Historical Illustrations. I'm not a Princeton emeritus professor of social science at the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton, all right? Just a trucker. Rob is in Maryland. Rob, hello, sir. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. What would you have done to this uh, this village? Ooh, I would not have burned it down. And I know you you just mentioned the law of just war theory. And I was going to bring it up again because it's what's taught at West Point. It's what's taught at the Naval Academy. And it's worked for us for about 40 or 50 years now. And I want to bring it back to the actual action of killing civilians to prevent some future possible atrocity. And doing that is immoral. The act itself is what's immoral. And, you know, as Americans or as Israelis, you have, you know, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. And just because the enemy isn't fighting under the, you know, the law of just war theory, it doesn't mean we shouldn't. And it's really hard and it's difficult to understand. But I still think if we want to consider ourselves moral and if the Israelis want to consider themselves moral and the, and the better people, then, you know, you wouldn't burn the village down. Let, let's define burn the village down because we had a previous caller yeah. who said, well, hold on Slater. Burning the village down doesn't mean you burn to death every man, woman, and child. Uh, you let them go. You let the people go to Egypt. You get, the, you get, the, like, get your stuff, get out of here. We're burning the village down. Is that different for you? So that, the, that's different of evacuating civilians and then occupying that town. That's different than, you know, burning the village down with people in it. But people. even still, if, if, if the people are evacuated, there's, you know, the, there's little benefit from, you know, from a, a combat standpoint, if I'm going to occupy a village and, and fight from that village, I wouldn't want to burn it down. Like that's, that's great covering concealment for the village. You want to, mm. you know, occupy that terrain and not, you know, not diminish it because, it's, you know, it's easier to fight from a building. It's easier to fight from cover than to burn it down. Yeah. Okay. What if your weakness, Rob, you, you, you think it's your, uh, your high-minded nobility, uh, but what if your weakness uh, by letting these people go leads to further attacks upon your men? What do you think about that? <clears throat> It still does not does not matter because in in that situation you're still you're you're fighting in hypotheticals and you can't you know in 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 mm -hmm. combat you, you can't think like that you need to you need to think about the actual situation at hand and if you're going to do something the I, I think that the act of, of of killing a civilian just um, you know with no repercussions is is actually immoral and if if you are going to do that you you know, you, there needs to be an actual 100% predictable justification for it. And you can't do it on, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to commit this act that would be considered immoral for the possibility of getting some benefit in the future, because that possibility is not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And now I'll, I'll give you an example where it would be guaranteed if I'm, 
if I'm engaging an enemy and that enemy is engaging me and a civilian walks out in front of them, if I'm still engaging that enemy and that civilian is killed, that would be an example where, you know, that, that killing would be justified because I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm still committing, you know, a, a moral act of war engaging the enemy. And that, you know, that's a situation where it would be okay, but not the, the situation where it's not okay is, you know, killing a civilian for, you know, some expected, some expected but not guaranteed benefit in the future. Yeah, because maybe one day in the future they'll be mad and do something worse. Um, all right, my last question for you, <clears throat> Rob. Uh, Lou, the guy who wanted to burn the village down, again, I thought he was going to make a turn and say, oh, I have one regret in my life, and that is that I ever wanted to do such a terrible thing, and I'm so grateful that Rabin stopped me and I didn't do it. But he didn't say that. He said, if you ask me today whether I have any regrets in my life, I'll say I have one, that I didn't shoot that Mukhtar right there and then let Rabin and the, the courts do whatever they wanted with me. What would you say to Lou that his regret is he didn't burn the village? Um, I would say if Lou is still thinking about that as a regret, I would, I would say he's a troubled man. He's, you know, he's, he's dealing with something that, although I've dealt with some similar things, I've, I've never, you know, I, I've never had that, that gripe. Um, you know, my, I'm 34 years old, so it hasn't been too long. And he, you know, he's much later in his life. I'd, I would say he's a very troubled man. And I, and I, I honestly, I feel bad for him to have to, to have to live with, with that kind of regret for his whole mm-hmm. life. Um, but, you know, if it were me in that situation, I wouldn't have that regret because I could, you know, live the rest of my life um, and die knowing that I would have made the right decision. Wow. Uh, are you in the mil- Were you in the military, Rob? Uh, I was. I was a uh, uh, captain in the Army for five years, uh, went to West Point, so, you know, studied these things in detail. Sure. Actually got to experience some of them. Um, and I know a lot of your callers are they're probably screaming at the radios right now, but um, you know from well, from the actual experience of doing it, um, you know I, I I know my decision's right and and I think if a lot of your callers were put in those situations i I think they might think twice about mm. you know okay. actually burning the village to the ground or, you're, or killing you're, civilians you're ar- your army right so the guy who called in earlier is a green beret eighteen year green beret he's coming in guns blazing. All right, so you're you're above him, Rob. Uh, what do you say to your boy? No, I'm not not above him. I don't I don't consider myself above. No, no, but no. I'm saying um, you're let's say you're let's say you're ranked above. Let's say like literally hierarchy of like you're the you're the guy in charge. You're the commander of this army. That's what I meant by above. Sorry. What 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 would you say to him if he wants to go in? Um, you know, as a commander, uh, if I were in charge of him, I would you know. I wouldn't have to remind him of, of the, the laws of just war theory or the doctrine we fight under. Um, I would provide him with the autonomy to make decisions on the battlefield because that's what any good commander will do for their soldiers. Um, and if soldiers, you know, if, if they end up making, you know, the wrong decision, you know, there's ways to hold them accountable. Rob, appreciate the call. Thank you for listening. Daily. We had a busy seven o'clock hour. We had three guests. Three guests. We talked with uh, Will Hild about uh, ESG and the latest with Go Woke, Go Broke, uh, Bud Light update, etc. 
Uh, we talked with A.W.R. Hawkins, who I love talking to always about the murderer up in Maine. What could have been done to prevent that known wolf who other reservists said could snap any day now. It's amazing. Uh, but I want to play this interview here with uh, uh, Catherine about they call it issue one. Sorry, in California, it's called prop. They do prop and then a number. Uh, in, Cal- in Ohio, it's issue one. This is the abortion thing. We have to vote. Pro-lifers need to vote no on issue one. But this has ramifications well beyond Ohio. Well beyond. If this issue loses, meaning if a red state Ohio votes to expand abortion to 40 weeks, which is what this would do, then this is a bad sign. Hmm, no, how do I wait? It's not a bad sign. What would happen is, other conservatives would be scared to make it an issue. They won't run on it, and the pro-life cause, legislatively at least, will be hurt. Does that make sense? Because it'll be like, oh, they lost, the issue lost in Ohio, therefore we should never talk about it again as conservatives, and uh, we'll just let the Democrats take it over again. And that would be bad. If this wins in Ohio, meaning if the no, the no's win, pro-life's win, then that'll be empowering for pro-lifers and conservatives, Republicans across the country. Like, oh, we can win on this issue. So it's a big deal. And it's one week from today. We break it down here. November 7th, next week, Ohio votes on issue one. I was just in Lubbock, Texas last week speaking at a pro-life pregnancy center. And um, we'll have a lot of stories to share about that. But Lubbock is a sanctuary city. The executive director said, hey, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but Lubbock is a sanctuary city. And I said, oh, yeah, I know. You know, uh, Illegal immigration is a major problem in our country, and obviously it affects Texas. So not surprising that that affects Lubbock. She says, no, 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 a sanctuary city for life. So what? What are you talking about? She's like, oh, yeah, like, abortion is not allowed at all in any way. And there's a bunch of other things that that means as well. And it's like, like my, my formerly California brain couldn't fathom that there is a, that sanctuary city means protecting the life of unborn babies. I was—I assumed it was an illegal immigration thing. But even the people of Lubbock were looking at Ohio to see what Ohio is up to right now with issue one. Catherine Hamilton has been covering it for Breitbart.com. Catherine, how are you today? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Mike. How are you? Very good. So I remember we talked about something Ohio did a couple weeks ago with abortion, and that was part of the setup for this issue one. So what was it a couple weeks ago? And then tell us about issue one. So in August, there was that special election. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, so that special election, there was an opportunity for Ohioans to vote on a ballot initiative that would have made it harder to change the state constitution. Um, A lot of money was dumped into that specific election from either side, but especially from outside the state um, opposing that. And so that failed, and that would have made it harder for this current ballot measure that's um, being voted on now through November 7th to okay. pass, so, and that so we, is an abortion ballot measure. Sorry, I just want, I want to show because a lot of like uh, for, against, it's good, bad, blah, blah, blah. So we pro-lifers would have wanted that thing in August to have passed, but it did not. Yes. So, so it's like, ah, darn it. Yes. And was it. Was it close even? It was not particularly close. Yeah. Um, there, so were, there was a lot of Democrat turnout for that. Okay, so like bummer. Ugh. Okay, but now here's why that was even a thing, is this new issue one. Okay, so we still have the uphill battle in issue one. We didn't get to change the Constitution to make it harder. Uh, okay, so what, what is issue one now? 
So issue one is a very broadly worded amendment that would enshrine the supposed right to abortion into the Ohio Constitution. And, you know, the the left wing side, the pro-abortion side pushing this says, oh, this is just about keeping the government out of your reproductive decisions. This is just about restoring Roe versus Wade. But I can tell you from pro-life groups that are fighting this and the governor himself, I actually spoke with him on the phone on Friday Their greatest concern about this amendment is that the language goes much further than what pro-abortion activists are claiming. Um, If you look at the language, there are specific things. They use the term individual rather than defining woman or minor. They use the term reproductive decisions um, broadly, including but not limited to. And they use the broad term health instead of defining uh, physical health, mental health. And we know in previous court decisions that um, health has been ruled as all sorts of different things that could apply. Okay. So it's vaguely written, obviously, right? So it's called Ohio issue one, right to make reproductive decisions. Uh, right. And it's like, well, abortion. Yeah. Let's be clear. So what, what week, if, if this, so we want no, so pro-lifers want no, right? Pro-lifers want to vote no on this very strongly. Okay. So what, if this passes, what week, does, is there a weeks written in it at all, or what does it do? No, so what's interesting about this issue in particular is that it allows physicians to determine what viability is. So viability abortions, that's usually when uh, a baby is considered to be able to live outside of the womb. That's typically been around 22 to 24 weeks, although it can change depending on the technology that's available and the interventions that are out there. But it allows the physician to determine that. It also allows the physician to determine whether it should, you know, pre- uh, perform a post-viability abortion based on the life or health of the mother. So this is entirely up to the abortionist. And it says that the state can regulate post-viability abortions. But DeWine was telling me, you know, that, that's not really effective at the end of the day. And so did um, Ohio Attorney General David Yost. He said, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of teeth when physicians are the ones that can ultimately decide. What was that last one? What what did DeWine tell you, the governor of Ohio tell you? He told me that that, um, it's it's really hard for the state to regulate post-viability abortions, that this ballot measure could lead Mm -hmm. to abortions all throughout pregnancy because abortionists are ultimately the ones that decide whether to do the abortion based on the health or life of the mother or whether they consider that unborn child to be viable. Okay, so it's 40 weeks, right? Because if if it's up to the abortionist to say, uh, baby's not viable, and we just have to take the abortionist's word for it, we're like, oh, well, okay. Like, who who are we to say, right? You're you're the one in charge. Or you're saying the abortionist could say, had to do it, health of the mother. The mom was going to die and if we didn't do it. And not allowed so. to burden the abortionist. That's what's written in the law. They're not allowed to burden the practice of right. um, people controlling their reproductive decisions. So. Hold on. Burden? You're right. Okay. Pro- it prohibits the state from directly or indirectly burdening, penalizing, or prohibiting abortion before an unborn child is determined to be viable. What does burdening mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? I think it means any laws that are past or future that have to do with abortion. If they're getting in the way of that abortion being done, they wouldn't be uh, enforceable under this amendment. And so that's why uh, pro-lifers are so worried about how broad this could be, about what laws could be overturned, 24-hour waiting periods, even parental consent laws, which, you know, pro-abortion groups are denying that it would do any of this. Well, of course. 
Uh, yeah, so you can't burden. You can't put any burden on the abortionist. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, tell us about. All right, so what, um, I got a lot of questions. Let's start with the polling. What, what are you seeing so far? And by the way, this is on the seventh, right? They vote on this, so next week. Yes. So I've seen some polling. A lot of it tends to favor the pro-abortion side. And DeWine himself said, you know, Ohio is split on the issue of abortion. And so that's why he's taken it upon himself. He actually appeared in the, with his wife in the first ad that he's ever done for a specific issue, warning Ohio and saying this is too extreme for pro-choicers and pro-lifers just because of how broad it is. Um, and so that's what he's trying to appeal to right now. It's, so Trump won Ohio. In 2020, 53 to 45. Isn't that interesting? 53 to 45. Ohio is a red state. Do we have any idea about the culture when it comes to abortion? Why it's it's more split than that and, and maybe the other way around? I don't know exactly why it's split, but I do know that pro-abortion groups have spent a lot of time framing the issue of reproductive health as an issue of freedom of removing government interference. I mean, they've run ads with uh, people praying and flags swaying in the background, really invoking conservative oh. imagery and wow. trying to make people think, you know what, um, you might be opposed to it, but other people should be free to do what they want to do. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good for them. That's that's sneaky. Uh, tell us about the money, because you talked about the money with the last the thing back in August. Uh, who, who's spending money yeah. on this issue one now? Some of the same people that funded the opposition against raising the constitutional threshold are also funding the effort to enshrine abortion on demand into the Ohio Constitution. So that's groups like Arabella Advisors 1630 Fund. It's a D.C.-based dark money group. They dumped in $5.3 million. Uh, we've got the Open Society Policy Center. They're based in New York at $3.5 million. That's associated with um, left-wing Democrat donor George Soros, who's got his you know, his hands in all the different pies. And then we've got the American Civil Liberties Union, also based in New York. They gave the pro-abortion coalition $2 million. So we've got that. We've got billionaires uh, from New York, Illinois. Um, they're funding this effort largely. Mm. Okay, what's the bigger picture? Not just the people of Ohio. What would you say the, the effect is that this has on, on the rest of the country? What people need to understand is that now that the fight is on the state level, these pro-abortion groups are dumping everything they have into this. And when abortion is enshrined in the state constitution, it is pretty much from what DeWine said, quote, forever. Um, it's very hard to overturn these constitutional amendments. So if this passes with this broad language, this is what Ohioans could possibly be stuck with unless they rally and overturn it with another constitutional amendment. That's how serious this is. So people really need to read the language and understand, even if they're for abortion, they need to understand, okay, is this something that I want? Everything that could possibly come with this. And I, I do want to point out to you, Mike, that if you look at Michigan, they passed a similar measure called Proposal 3 last year. Um, similar wording, similar groups backing it up. And now they're trying to roll back a lot of abortion protections like 24-hour waiting periods. And they have Planned Parenthood of Michigan lobbying them to get rid of parental notification and consent laws. So while they're saying in Ohio, oh, we're not doing that there, um, the groups behind this do believe in removing parental consent and have vouched for it in the past. So people ah, need to be aware of okay, the so you're saying just Michigan, Michigan's like one year ahead of Ohio in this. And Pretty look much, at what yeah. they've already done. Yeah, of course. 
the parental notification is interesting. So what's the argument against the, what's the pro-life argument against that one? But the first thing that comes to mind is if, if a girl was like, like raped, then the rapist can get away with it. Right. Cause no one would have to know. No one has to tell anyone. No parents need to get involved in anything. And that's a further victimization of that girl. That's just the first thing that comes to mind. What's the other issue with parental notification? grew up to make these huge decisions on her own and if we just think your frontal lobe's not fully developed until you're what 25 but you're gonna allow young children young girls to go in and have their unborn baby killed by an abortionist without their parents knowing that's that's what getting rid of parental consent would do and it would enable i mean i've heard this from pro-life groups it enables human trafficking it enables child abusers um and so that's what we're fighting against yeah amazing all right uh, Catherine, one last story you wrote just the other day about Georgia. The Georgia Supreme Court upheld their six-week ban uh, on, on abortion in Georgia. So, goodness, every state is different here. Again, I was just in Lubbock, Texas, uh, and they have no abortion in Texas, zero. I asked, I asked um, the, the director of this center, I said, uh, oh, you know, what's the, how's the six-week abortion thing going? And she says, uh, oh, we got rid of that. And I was like, ah. Oh. I said, so what's the law in Texas now? Like 12 weeks, 13 weeks, something like that. And she said, no, 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 zero. <laughs> There's no, no abortion in Texas. Not allowed. Zero, zero weeks. It's like, oh, wow, that's unbelievable because I just came from California where we passed a bill. 65% of people voted to have it 40, explicitly so. They weren't even sneaky about it like they are in Ohio right here. So it's 40 weeks. We're going to pass a 40 week. Uh, so we live in, a, in very different countries here. Uh, what did the state of Georgia Supreme Court say? So they reversed the lower court order six to one um, that ruled and they ruled that the law did not violate the U.S. Constitution when it was enacted in 2019 um, and currently complies with the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. So what pro-abortion groups were trying to argue in Georgia was, oh, you know, they created their six week rule when Roe was still the law of the land. So it shouldn't uphold. Um, and the judges rejected that. So, you know, debate on this law is still going down, remanded back to the lower courts. They're trying to argue these pro-abortion groups that the law violates rights to privacy, liberty, equal protection. Um, the court, the Supreme Court did not rule on that. But for now, the six-week um, abortion limit is still active in the state of Georgia. Very good. Catherine Hamilton, keep up the wonderful work. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. So Ohio, issue one, if you are pro-life, vote no on Tuesday. You get one week for that. And I would say, if you're pro-choice, vote on Wednesday, but I could go to jail for seven months if I make that, make that comment. Uh, so again, I was in Lubbock last week, and my message to Lubbock, because Lubbock, again, sanctuary city, Lubbock is, uh, all of Texas, they're passing these laws county by county that would make it illegal, well, not illegal, they would make it so if you use a road to to leave Texas and go to New Mexico, for instance, Lubbock is close to New Mexico, a couple hours away. If you use a road, then someone can sue you for human trafficking. So if there's a boyfriend who uses a road to drive to New Mexico and this road goes through a sanctuary county, then that boyfriend can be civilly liable for human trafficking and get sued. I don't know what the number amount was, maybe like $10,000, whatever. They can be sued for 
for human trafficking. That's what they're doing in Texas, right? So like that's how hardcore they are against abortion in Texas. And meanwhile, other states like Ohio are deciding whether or not they want to be uh, allow abortion for 40 weeks. And I told the people of Lubbock, I said, listen, you guys are so incredibly important to the pro-life fight because one of the number one arguments from the pro-abortion crowd is, oh, you pro-lifers, you're not really pro-life. You're just pro-birth. You just support birth, but you don't really support the moms and you don't support the babies afterwards and you don't help anyone and you don't help anything at all. You're just pro-birth. You're not pro-life. So I just want to issue the challenge to the people of all of Texas, but specifically Lubbock last week, that you are, you are where other states want to be, but maybe are reluctant to because, oh, well, what do we do now? Okay, so abortion is not allowed, but what do we do now? You do what Lubbock does, and you love these women and you love these babies well after birth, and Lubbock's doing that. But it's easy to rest on your laurels. It's easy to be like, oh, we're in Texas. There's no abortion. We win. And then be done. It's like, no, 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 no. Because if you don't continue to love these women and these babies, then the pro-abortion people across the country are going to be like, look, look, you pro-lifers. You're not pro-life. You don't really love anyone. We can't let them get away with that. It's not true. But we have to make it very, very not true. We have to make it obviously not true. So Ohio, vote no on issue one. Then we can move this in the other direction. And maybe you can become a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state for life as well. That's the ultimate goal. I'm American made. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Whole show, Sirius XM Patriot, every uh, weekday morning from 6 to 9 Eastern. Uh, tomorrow, we have a lot more to do with the whole just war theory and what would you do. And I have some scenarios here that can humanize war even more. We'll do that tomorrow. Hope to see you there. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Apologize.